What is up, podcast listeners? Thank you for giving me a few moments of your day to listen to this podcast. This is the Matt Baxter Show. I'm your host, Matt Baxter, and this podcast is about purpose, passion, and calling. Super stoked to have you as a listener because we're going to dive into some awesome, intense stories about people who are going through this journey of this thing called life, and we're all just figuring this out together. But seriously, you're giving me a little bit of your time, and I want to make sure it's valuable and worthwhile. So have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? When I was getting this podcast off the ground, we first started as the Wedgecast, evolved into the Matt Baxter Show. There was a lot of questions that we had, like, how do I record an episode? How do I get my show in all the different places like Spotify, Apple Music, Anchor, Zencaster, all these different places. And yet it just seemed very, very complicated. But the simple thing for us as we began to navigate the waters is the answer to every single one of these questions, questions excuse me, was really simple. It's Anchor. Anchor is a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, distributing your podcast. Best of all, it's 100% free. Yeah, free. And it's ridiculously easy to use. And now Anchor can match you with great sponsors who want to advertise in your podcast. That means you can get paid podcast right away. In fact, that's what I'm doing right now. Yeah, making money. Okay, it's sweet. It's easy. It's not a big cheap plug on an ad, but it's just simple and easy to use. So for us, it's one of the best parts about it is we can do it entirely remote or in studio. So you can record, you've got that really, really high, you know, high in the sky person that you're going to have as a guest on your podcast. You got to do it remote. Anchor is easy to use. You got people who are willing to come to your studio, your house, your office, wherever you're recording it. Boom. Anchor. Love it. Simple, easy, simple and easy to use. So if you ever want to start a podcast, make money doing it, go to anchor.fm slash start. Join me in the diverse community of podcasters already using Anchor. That's anchor.fm slash start. Can't wait to hear your podcast. You are listening to Culture Hacking with Daniela Mestinek-Young, where I chat with guests who've been through interesting and unique life journeys that have led them to deeply engage with thoughts about what is culture, how is it created, how is it led, and most importantly, how can we change it? I'm your host, Daniela Messinek-Young, author, TEDx speaker, U.S. Army combat veteran, and organizational culture hacker. On this podcast, you will hear incredible stories, amazing insights, and at the end of every single episode, you will walk away with one tactical culture hack that you can implement in your world today. Subscribe now wherever you get your podcasts and never miss a hack. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Culture Hacking with Daniela Mestinek-Young. I am Daniela Mestinek-Young, author, TEDx speaker, and podcast host. Let's get hacking. Today, our guest is Matt Baxter. Matt is the CEO and founder of Wedge, the podcast host of the Wedgecast, and an avid lover of his golden retriever. He's also a serial entrepreneur who got started at a very young age, and we will hear all about some of that today. Welcome, Matt. Thanks for having me. I have found that people get obsessed with the larger idea of culture and all or anything that it might entail from very different paths. And it's almost always a combination of interesting and intense life experiences. Listeners, you've already heard a bit about my journey growing up in a religious cult, becoming an army captain, and helping to change combat culture for women. These are the things that birthed my own insights and interests, obsession really, into culture. If you haven't seen it yet, check out episode zero of the Culture Hacking Podcast and follow me on Twitter to see all of the things that I'm writing and speaking about. Today, we are going to hear about Matt's 
intense and insightful culture journey. So Matt, take it away. <laughs> well, thank you. Listening to your background, I don't know if I'm going to be able to quite measure up. But we'll give it, we'll give it his best shot and kind of let it flow from there. But um, yeah, so my my journey began uh, literally in the grassroots context. So I started my first uh, first business was at age 15, and I was a chubby neighbor kid, push mowing a few lawns, literally trying to make a quick buck sort of attitude and. What I quickly learned from that is you can make more money mowing a lawn than I could working a shift at a fast food restaurant or something like that, right? And so when I say first company, literally it was just me like with a push mower, nothing glamorous or anything like that. Well, quickly the business kept growing and growing and I kept doing this during summer throughout high school. And by my senior year of high school, I had my first full-time employee and I was starting to manage from a distance. I went to a college about three hours from my hometown. I'm, I'm from Ann Arbor, Michigan, but I went to a school called Hope College, which is in uh, the Western side of the state, but started managing the business from a distance and figuring out remote work, kind of what that looks like and, and managing a business from that standpoint. And so I'd, I'd jet back home during weekends and keep working on the business and stuff like that. So by my so fast forward by my sophomore year in college. So this was about five years ago. I had uh, about seven employees, a couple part-time, a couple full-time. And we had a nice little business that we grew. And you know, I was working 100 to 120 hour weeks, but it was sort of that work-life high that like I, I didn't need caffeine. I wasn't like... I, there wasn't any like stimulus that I needed. I just was like on this like kind of cloud nine as far as, you know, what my attitude, I was waking up early and just, it was just awesome. And randomly was grabbing a beer with a friend and one of the local lawn care companies who they like big contracts came up to me and said, Hey, if you ever want to sell your accounts, let us know. And I said, well, let me buy you a beer and let's have a conversation about that. And, uh, within 20 minutes, he basically made an offer on the whole business had no idea it was coming, no idea, like wasn't planning for it, wasn't telling people I was selling the business. I mean, just kind of plopped in my lap. Well, I called a friend who happened to be a mentor of mine and I said, who, who owned a property management company. And I said, you know, walk me through this. Is this a good idea, bad idea, whatever. And uh, he said, that's awesome. Great. I would take it if I was you, but I actually want to offer you this. So within two hours, a couple beers and like, I had two offers on the business, had no idea that I like it. It just literally was like gift from God fell from the sky sort of thing. So three days later, sold the whole business and was done. So this was, I was just over 21 and this was, yeah, it was about five. I'm 25 now. So this was, yeah, four years ago. And so I happened to be taking a long trip with my dad to Yellowstone. So I had a lot of downtime in the car to be thinking about, okay, what's next? What do I want to do? I was getting ready for my junior year at, at Hope College. So I started thinking about this idea for my hiring and this is just random thoughts and talking with my dad. And it, it, this idea kept popping up for me with, with my lawn care company. I, I didn't really care if somebody knew how to mow a lawn or weed whack. Those skills are important. Don't get me wrong, but they're very teachable. What I couldn't teach was, can somebody shake my hand? Can somebody have a conversation? Can somebody look me in the eye? You know, the, the important parts of, you know, building a business around personable people. And so for me, it came to be this huge gap of I would have somebody who would look great on paper or a friend would recommend them or they've had tons of experience mowing lawns. But yet when they came in for an interview, they were nothing like that person. They would you know, show up with tobacco on their lip and it's like, all right, take it out for two minutes sort of thing, right? So I, I started talking to a bunch of employers out there. Like we, we 
at the time we mowed for 60 different business owners. And I asked them, I said, so tell me about your hiring process. Tell me about what the application process looks like. And every single person came back with something along the lines of uh, the hiring process sucks. It's a broken, like broken process in general. Resumes do not tell the full story of who somebody is. They only tell what somebody's accomplished and we can't find candidates, right? So this, these pretty macro level issues. So it had me starting to think, and this is going to transition into what I'm working on today, but it had me thinking about this concept of, could we create a product that allowed companies to have a better understanding of who people are before they walked in the door, the expensive parts of hiring? And can we create a platform for candidates to share more about who they are? Because at the time I was a junior in college and talking to all my friends looking for internships who none of them had experience, but they were trying really hard and they were willing to work hard and learn, right? So there, there was a missing part to their story that they couldn't tell in the application process. Fast forward four years later, <laughs> what that has evolved into and what I'm spending now 100 hours of my week working on is uh, I, I run a company called Wedge and we're a video interviewing platform. So it's a SaaS product that we, we sell to companies and we can dive into the, the details of the business a little bit later. But we're a team of five, um, a little bit different, or team of four, a little bit different about our business versus like my first one is we went like the funding route, took on some angel capital, whereas before it was literally like bootstrap. Just So very two very different businesses approaches. Um, yeah, it's been pretty wild ride. I had a lot of fun with it. I've gone through the... He- so I've technically bought a company. I've sold a company. I've hired a friend. I've fired a friend. I've bought out a partner. So I've had... And I, I say those things not as like a glamorous to say that like all five of those sort of kicked me in the butt. Are we allowed to swear in here? I want to be... It. <laughs> <That's fine. laughs> okay. I, I don't know if we're explicit or not explicit, but all five of those have sort of... Uh, uh, knock the wind out of me in a different, even good or bad, but just help me learn a lot. And, and so anyways, it's been, been a super fun ride. So that's the five minute story, I guess. Yeah. Um, so by virtue of the fact that I interview a lot of veterans, um, the swearing happens. So, yeah, yeah, okay, you cool, know, cool. we don't love it, but it's okay. Yeah. Um, well, I have, I have some guests who just let it fly and then I have some guests <laughs> who kind of ask. And so I figured at least I'd be, I'd be uh, a little cautious. So. Uh, no, you're good, man. Culture is what happens in between all the spaces. Right? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, so my first question for you is, do you drink coffee now? I do. I drink a lot of coffee. Yeah. Okay, good. Because I have I, a hard time trusting people that don't drink caffeine. Yeah. Um, also, I didn't realize you were so young um, yeah, yeah. because you've done so much and that's amazing. <laughs> um, good for well, you. Well, thank you. I mean, it's when you like don't have a work-life balance, you can sort of get a lot of work done. And so, yeah, I, but there's been a lot of, a lot of mistakes and lessons in there. So I, I appreciate you saying that, but yes, I am a, uh, heavy caffeine consumption. Uh, I get a headache when I don't, if that shows my addict level. So yeah, absolutely. <laughs> hey, I, I feel you. I'm, 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 I'm a, I'm a LaCroix um. today. I'm a bubbly today, but there you go. Yeah. Um, okay, I want to hone in on a few things that you said here that I think um, are culture and talk about culture. Um, and then we'll get right back to talking about your business. Um, and the first is, you know, I love how when you were still in high school, you realize that there are things that you could do outside of the traditional path that would then sort of like allow you to be passionate. And let me, you know, explain where I'm going from here. 
when I left a cult at 15 and moved to America with zero dollars and I got a job at a fast food restaurant. And I remember I was making $6 an hour supporting myself. And I was like, I have more money than I ever imagined. Right. Cause yeah. I grew up in a society with no money and nobody had autonomy. And that immediately for me translated into, I'm never going to work on anything I don't love <laughs> because if minimum wage is more than, you know, more money than I ever expected to have, then I can only go from here. And when I kind of heard a little bit of that in your story, and I don't know if that's how that turned out, but it sounds like because in high school, you were able to actually produce your own income, run a business, develop some of that entrepreneurialism. Did that actually turn into you later in adult life, being more risk-taking and more willing to kind of pursue your, your passions and the things that you care about? Yeah, the the risk taking is something I've been trying to reflect on a long time on where to like, is there a route to that? Is that just, you know, how I was born or whatever that is? But like, there's really not a part, a compartment in my life that is not sort of hedged on heavy risk, which is not always good, but that's kind of exactly like how I function. But what it did teach me early on and something that like, where I'm trying to build my own brand around is it helped me create that like literally life is a complete wide open canvas and you can create whatever you want with it. And whether that's business, whether that's a podcast, whether that's books, whether that's like teaching people, helping people, like you can literally create your own canvas. And so I think the experience in the early age has helped sort of magnitude the effect of that and helped me totally understand that like, A, like I can literally do whatever I want. Like there's not much holding me back, especially I am fortunate enough to be in an environment where I have a lot of people supporting. Um, and that that's super helpful. But I also think that like one thing, and, and obviously we want to keep this on the topic of culture that I've really taken a, a liking to is the fact that like my cultural, the way I run a company, the way I want to continue to build a company or, or start other ones, whatever that may be, is I want to help create that environment for people to be able to understand that that canvas is exactly what they want. Sure, there's given tasks you just have to do. I hate sending invoices. It's like one of the dumbest things because it's like I'm actually collecting money, but I, I, I can't get myself to do it. So there's tasks that like, you don't like. But one of the things that as far as the culture side of things for me is I want to be able to help create an environment for other people to feel and believe and totally be able to take risks on the fact that life is a completely open canvas and you can do that. So yeah, you know, there's a, a very interesting kind of, I mean, I call it a quote, but one of the Shark Tank guys, right, Mark Cuban, who has said in the past, um, and I think it sort of applies to what you and I are both saying that like, when you've kind of like made your own success in a non traditional path, you know that it can be done again. So totally. Mark Cuban has said was like, if I lost all my money today, I would 100% be a multimillionaire again. He was like, maybe not a billionaire because there's a little bit of luck into sure. that kind of there's growth. There's time, timing to everything. Yep. But absolutely a multimillionaire because I'm going to go out and take risks and create new processes and make money. Yep. And I think that's, that's kind of like what gets to the heart of when people are describing some of these personality traits, which is the next thing we're going to talk about of, you know, entrepreneurialism and innovation and those things that you're looking for that are almost 
personal values. Yeah. Right? And I see uh, on that, I see so many, like something that's kind of a fascinating study for me and this sounds probably bad, but I love watching people raise to a quick level of success. And then what happens when that falls, whether they make a mistake, go bankrupt, whatever that is. And a lot of times that transition happens because they're trying to defend what they've already created rather than continue to create. And that's something that like Mark Cuban, for example, if he lost everything, he would just keep going to create. He's not spending all of his time trying to de-risk what he's created. He's just trying to go out and create more. Sure, there's some, you know, being smart to some of that. But like, that's something that I think happens so often. It's like, if you're somebody who has a creative attitude, if you're somebody who looks at life and is not afraid to take risks, don't stop doing that. But it's also coming from a 25 year old where I'm pretty risk seeking. So that's maybe not the best advice for everybody. (laughs) But I mean, I also think that sometimes trying to be too careful will just stop you from things, you know? So I had the chance to publish an article and turns out I signed a really kind of not great for me contract. Um, as far as like future, like movie deals and all this stuff in the future, because I didn't understand and I didn't want to take the time and the resources to get lawyers and all that, which would have probably stopped me from publishing. Well, in the end, the article got me an agent. Now we're working on blah, blah, blah. And like, you know, in the future, it works. And sometimes it's like, I, I really do believe what you're saying that if you're too afraid to take risks, you know, I mean, you miss out hundred percent of shots you don't take. Absolutely. Um, okay. So the other thing I wanted to talk about that is still a lot of like you and how you think, but also goes to, I think the culture of right now and the future of work. And it's like, you even called it remote working, but you're talking 10 years ago or, you know, seven years ago. Um, and you were already thinking that way, which I think is really cool. Um, and I would love to have you talk a little bit about like, so, so the remote working and the thinking of work and how stuff is changing, like, sounds like you're on the cutting edge of this and you are also one of these leaders doing the, you know, teachable skills or teachable. What I need are personality traits and values and the kinds of things that I can't teach. How is that all sort of married together and how's it working out for you in your current business? Yeah. So you're, you're asking this at a really interesting time that we're actually making some big decisions internally is, so we're, we're a team of four that's looking to expand to a team of 10 and team of 10 can expand rapidly. So currently the way we're set up, set up is our team of four is literally in three different cities. So you do the math, two of us are in one city, everybody else is in three different ones. So we are completely remote, completely like, you can literally be anywhere and do whatever you want. So to say that I put my foot in the ground and said, that's the company that I want to build, not necessarily, but it's allowed us to, from a financial standpoint and just like capability of doing it, run super lean with the talent that we have, which is awesome. Work-life balance. All of us enjoy the area that we're in, which creates some clashing of say, hey, we got a headquarters somewhere. I want to be here. You want to be there. We want to be there. So there's an attitude about that. But so I think one of the things that we're spending a lot of time thinking about is, okay, ultimately what what are we trying to do with this business? Are we building a 30-year company? Are we building a 10-year company? Or are we trying to flip this for th- in three years? There's different layers to that. And I think that to some degree helps sort of create what sort of ultimately culture that you're going to build around. Being a tech startup, it's, you know, I'm not necessarily saying we're going to be a 100-year-old company today. I'd love to build a business that lasts 100 years way beyond me. But I think some of the things that we're thinking about, and as I talk to a lot of different tech companies, is number one, you know, where can we attract people that are going to be 
talented at a value that, you know, they, they feel valued and we feel like we're getting, you know, appropriate levels of value as well too. But also how can you attract that person who isn't afraid to check their email at night? That's the interesting component to things. I never want to be a company that says you need to be on call 24 seven. In fact, like I wish people in like even our four teams, we took more vacations because we're all terrible at it. But there's an element of that that makes me love that because we're all so personally invested into the company that it's not like really a work-life balance. It's, hey, you need to go walk your dog in the middle of the day. Go. See ya. Bye. I don't know what you're do- still doing here. But if we have a system that breaks down at 8 p.m. at night, at we all have all hands on deck, right? And so it creates this like really unique culture. And I've talked to some other companies like that. And so long story, like sort of to to wrap that up into ultimately a point is that I think that there's immense amounts of value in work, you know, in working remote. I also think that there's unbelievable, unprecedented, no comparison of being together with people. And so the few days that our team is collectively together, literally the magic happens. Like when we have board meetings and everybody's together, you can't recreate that. And that's something that you can't do in remote work. With that being said, 95% of the time we're all working remote, which is awesome. So I, I, I think that there's a, I, I think that there's a sliding scale that people aren't necessarily spending that much time looking at. And I think it's really important. That help? I don't know if that <laughs> yeah, answers. It that. does. And, you know, one of the themes for me on my platform, which my listeners will be familiar with here, is that, look, extremes are always bad, right? Yeah. And everything is sort of in the middle, um, at least if you're getting to a good point. And one of the, I think, things that culturally tech companies and startups and remote work does struggle with is, you know, like it's easy to say that like, oh yeah, you can work whenever you want, but then the scope of work gets out of control and now it's 80 hours a week. And in reality, that's not true. Nope. Um, nope. But I think that, you know, so I think that for the business leaders of those companies, it's like important to be constantly looking and seeing that like your scope of work is, you know, actually built towards what you're saying your company is going to have to work-life balance. And then of course the benefits are, which is, you know, same thing I'm doing with my company. It's like, well, I can take my daughter. The hardest thing for me right now is scheduling like play dates versus business meetings. Because, yep. Like, you know, they all have to, to correspond. Sure. And, and that's the whole point of doing, of doing non-traditional. Um, I think um, if you don't mind, there's some on that point, I think leaders don't spend or, culture setters, uh, somebody at the top sort of making decisions around remote work or these people who are easily saying, well, remote work is the only good way to do things. Like I, I don't agree with that statement. Um, I do think that we should spend a lot more time thinking about what are the byproducts of creating particular environments. So for example, an office that's headquarters and everybody's all together, you lose sort of the excitement of being all together because you're all together all the time, right? And so it's difficult to say, hey, we really need you to get excited and rally up, go drink a cup of coffee and get fired up. Whereas our company meetings, when we're together, it's literally everybody's amped up, juiced up, we're fired up, but we only do that once or twice a year. But then you run into the difficulties of like communicating, time zones, all these different things. So I don't think that like we sort of coming from a risk seeking person, look at the risks of the culture that we're setting as far as like the tangible environments of it as much. Um, and I, I, I think there's some cool conversations to be had around that. 
and yeah anyways yeah for sure i mean so i'm gonna go ahead and plug sapiens as a book right now if you've never heard of it or read it you should and listeners should too but it's kind of around this idea that as a human race we actually never understand the impacts of what we're doing and what it's going to be on the culture um and then that by the time we understand it it's too late you know embracing the internet has made losing the internet one of the number one dangers in the world like people will die we saw that in Puerto Rico, for example. Um, but we didn't know that when we first got it and now our whole society's on it and it's too late. So I think that's like definitely an interesting thing. But then also, you know, one of the things that you mentioned, which I think is just like for leaders that want to sort of build these remote work things, making sure that you're thinking about like being very deliberate about what you're messaging to your people So there was a good Sheryl Sandberg example, and she's the COO of Facebook, and she's a mom, and she's very into this, like, changing bro culture and doing remote work, but making the culture work for everyone. And she talks about how she had to, you know, be very explicit with her people that, like, look, I'm going to send emails at 9 p.m. because that's what works for me. But unless I flag it as super important, respond right now, like this is not intended to stress you out at all. Like if you're, if you're not a person that likes to work at 9pm, then don't worry about it. And she talks about how like, you know, she had to do that because somebody told her that she was pressuring people and she didn't realize it. And that once she did it, it was able to enable all of these other kind of conversations and communication and realizations. And, you know, that's one of the things I think for leaders and and anyone that's doing remote work is to understand, you know, I say this to people all the time, like, look, between three and 8pm, I am with my kid. And so I can't, you know, really, at least be guaranteed to like respond or do things at this time, whereas before and after, sure. Yeah, exactly. I I had a... I had an example of it was I just got back back from a flight and typically when I'm traveling the next three hours I'm pretty amped up like I I can't actually the opposite I can't sleep I'm usually so a lot of times that's when I send respond back to emails and I sent this note to our uh, employees about hey here's some different directional things this was about a year ago and I remember literally both of them individually pulled me aside and was like hey can I take you out to a cup of coffee I was like yeah sure like literally like actually approached me and said that. And they're like, are you okay? Like, is everything okay? Like you're responding back at like two in the morning. And it's, and I was thinking like, wait a minute, this, that's super normal to me, but yet that sets like flags, like raises flags for other people as well too. And so I, I, I'm starting to realize that like, as I mean, just, just the impact of just small things like that, that I think are so natural as a leader, but yet that's not as necessary. And so the, I don't know, there's an element of sort of explaining that or tampering expectations, or, or I like what she said is like, Hey, unless I flag it, you know, don't, don't. Yeah. So, I mean, as a leader, I think there's always an amount that people are going to think that they should be emulating you. And unless sure. you're very explicit about like, this works for me, this doesn't have to be the way that it works for you. Then, you know, I used to have to teach my lieutenants this about briefing or public speaking. I'd be like, this is my style. You do the same information in your style. You know, don't try to be me. Just try to be the best version of you. That's, that's kind of the important message. You know, one of, one of the biggest leadership decisions or one of the biggest leadership mistakes I have ever made is trying to replicate myself. And I, I did that very early on. And I did that with an employee that I probably royally effed up, but like, 
I try to make that person 80, knowing that they couldn't quite be me, but try to make them 80% of me. And that sounds so manipulative, but like, it's really hard not to do that. Where it was like, I so desperately want you to be able to do majority of the things that I can do, just not quite as well, which a limited them completely. Secondly, limited me thirdly limited the company like not in any particular order but like i think the biggest par- portion there is that you so limit the skill sets of somebody else by trying to replicate who you are because they're a better version of so i i, I made right. that mistake very early on and and that was a bit and i'm not saying i'm perfect at it now but it's it's hard not to do that yeah for sure um okay so matt we are encroaching on time here so what is when people want to engage with you and your amazing software as a service video interviewing technology um which i want to know more about um how do they get in touch with you yeah so i'm pretty active on linkedin just matt back so you can uh follow me connect with me send me a message there and write on there and we'll send the link but you can book a time on my calendly i'm happy to chat whether it's about i do have my own podcast whether it's a podcast guest a conversation or just a chat um and also our website is competitivewedge.com and that's where you can actually find the video interview service as well too so yeah any of those different ways i'm on instagram matt c baxter but mainly linkedin is my my social go-to so well super cool and all of the links will be in the show notes the show notes can be found at www.cavnishr.com that podcast again is called wedgecast and uh soon you'll be able to listen to me as a guest on there so check it out (laughs) and matt what is one final culture hack 30 seconds or less that our guests can take away 30 seconds or less I think find that open canvas. And if you're a leader, help others create it. And if you're somebody who's not sure if you're a leader yet, go create it yourselves and you'll have other people who want to join on that. Love it. Thank you so much, Matt, for sharing so much value today with me and with our listeners. Everybody, I am Daniela Mestinek-Young, author, TEDx speaker, and culture hacker. Thanks for joining us. And now for a message from our sponsor. Cavnis HR understands that time feels like the most limited resource in business. Small business leaders spend 25% of their time on HR and compliance matters, instead of directly increasing the bottom line with business growth. With Cavnis HR, for a small monthly fee, you can forego hiring an in-house HR team and stop worrying about potential HR and compliance issues. With Cavnis HR, you have 24-7 access to real, live experts to handle everything from onboarding employees in a one-stop shop portal, advising you on HR laws, and even leadership and workplace culture seminars and workshops. In a constantly shifting corporate culture landscape, keep laser-focused on your business with those Cavnis HR hours recovered. You take care of your business. They've got your HR. Thank you for listening to Culture Hacking with Daniela Mestinek-Young. You can find links to all of the awesome things we talked about today in the show notes. For more information on my forthcoming memoir, or for information on how you can build a deliberate culture plan for your organization or company, please go to www.daniellamestinekyoung.com or connect with me on Twitter at Daniela M. Young.